I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Check engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 245. And today in the show, Dan and I are preparing for the whitetail rut, chatting through our rut hunting plans, and sharing our best rut hunting advice. Before we get rolling on all that, though, I want to take a quick second to thank our partners at Lacrosse Boots. As I've been mentioning this past uh, couple months now, I'm wearing the Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pros this year, and I'm actually on the road right now to Nebraska for a whitetail hunt. And we're going to have temperatures all the way from the 30s up into the 60s. We're going to be hiking up and down hills and bluffs. We'll be crossing muddy rivers, climbing up into trees. And for all of those things, at least based on my previous experience with these boots, I think the Alpha Burleys will be a great option for each one of those scenarios. So if you're looking for a versatile whitetail knee-high rubber boot, this is definitely one to consider. And if you want to learn more, you can head on over to lacrossefootwear.com. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And today we are kind of doing our pre-rut episode because me and Dan aren't going to talk again for two weeks. So the next time that Dan and I are here together, it's going to be kind of the heat of the rut. So I wanted to do an episode where it's just me and Dan. We kind of fill you guys in on what we've been up to lately and then and then talk through kind of what our game plan is for the rut, uh, what our tactics are going to be during the rut, what maybe our predictions are going to be for that time frame. So that hopefully me and Dan are prepared for the rut, but then also you guys listening, hopefully we can get you some info and some ideas to have you ready for this late October early November time frame that's coming up, which is, you know, as, as you and I both know, Dan, and probably everyone listening, uh, we're, we're entering kind of the, the holy land time of the year as a whitetail hunter. Like the Super Bowl is right ahead of us and, uh, I'm chomping at the bit. Uh, I'm guessing you are too. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, not a lot needs to be said really. It's, it's that time of year Yes. and you just start getting ramped up. Yeah. That, that's Imp- prepare for the grind, you know? Yeah, the grind is coming up. And I got to tell you, man, um, I'm a little bit concerned about the upcoming rut marathon, the grind, because usually this time frame, right, the first two weeks of November, it's like it is a 
absolute grind on you mentally and physically. Like usually I'm ran down, I'm not getting any sleep, maybe I'll get sick at the end of it. <laughs> usually you just, if anything's going to go wrong, that's the time of year when it might go wrong just because you're not sleeping much, you're running around like crazy. Do you ever yeah. experience something like that, right? I used to, yeah. but You started now... eating carrots, right? And now you feel better? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> You son of a gun. <laughs> okay, hold on. Before you say anything else. Right, right. You can't have me laugh too much. <laughs> so you have to explain to people why. Yeah, and so right now, if people can see my face, I have to do this really weird thing with my face to keep from smiling because – and where I was actually getting with why I was bringing up the upcoming grind is because I'm especially concerned about the upcoming grind because the last two weeks, I've already had all sorts of health issues I can't imagine what's going to happen two weeks from now as everything gets worse. Um, so I haven't talked about this in the podcast yet, but about two weeks ago, I got diagnosed with shingles. So I had these horrible, uh, I don't know, blistering welts pop up all around my torso, my front of my torso wrapping around to the back of my torso um, that were unlike any other kind of rash or anything I'd had before. So I was really confused by what it was. And and then when they started getting like painful, I was waking up in the middle of the night, like with this like searing, burning pain. Um, that's when I was like, okay, this, this needs to get checked out. So I went to the doctor and yeah, it was shingles told me I'm overstressed or something like that. Um, so it put me on all sorts of meds and like the super nerve pain deal. Cause I guess shingles create this nerve related pain, kind of like electric shocks all around you, which is, which is what I was experiencing. Um, so got on the meds for that and that seemed to help. Now then last week I'm recovering from the shingles and then I get poison ivy pop up all over my face. So I get poison ivy on my face and then it moves down into my mouth and it's like, it's, it seems like, okay, this is like a, this is a bad case of poison ivy, but I wasn't too concerned about it until like maybe Thursday night, this past Thursday night, um, when it started like blistering and oozing and then Friday and Saturday, like it was getting worse and worse to like my face and lips and nose were covered with like, and this is kind of disgusting, probably too much information for people. <laughs> um, but like yellow, just cakes of pus on everything all over my face in my left side of my mouth was like essentially sealed shut because it all gotten poison ivy blistered and then all these pusses and then it started to dry and then so all cracked and cut all along the inside of my mouth so I couldn't open my mouth to eat food um, I can't smile I can't uh, open my mouth to, to do any of those basic things so so whenever <laughs> you make me laugh or someone does something that makes me smile I have to try to like purse my mouth together to keep it flat so I don't smile and crack open my lips. <laughs> so, uh, so then Sunday I'm like, okay, this is not, this is not like the normal poison ivy. And so I went to the doctor again, went to urgent care and they said, oh yeah, you know, you had poison ivy, but then it got infected with this like staph infection kind of thing that is now what's causing all this crazy stuff showing up all over your face. I got blisters on my eyeball now or my, my eyelids. Um, so they said there's something called impetigo. So they put me on this prednisone thing for the poison ivy. They put me on another thing for the impetigo and they got me on another topical cream to try to get rid of the lesions and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> um, the meds that I got on Sunday have helped substantially. So stuff's definitely coming down. Um, I was able to go out in public today and not feel like I looked like a leper. Um, although I definitely, if you got close enough, you'd think that pretty gnarly, but, uh, at least from about 40 yards, I can, 
um, talk to you without <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a little worried if I'm overstressed, if my immune system was so overstressed that I'm breaking out with shingles and impetigo and all this stuff, uh, leading up to the rut, who knows what's going to happen when I start living off of three hours of sleep. Yeah, absolutely, man. So tell you what, don't be funny. I won't. I've, I've had poison <laughs> ivy before severely. I'm talking like three days in a row to the emergency room where I was basically begging for them to do something to me, like give me drugs or – I mean I had to I had to take a warm washcloth to rub on my eyes so that my eyes would even open. Ugh, yeah. On my mouth, um, on my okay. – Yeah, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> All the parts. Like yes, toe, been there. I've I've had it multiple times throughout my life and now I just like if it's summertime and I need to go in the timber to do something, I am I am head to toe everything. Oh yeah. And you know what's funny is I've had the same thing. I've gotten it really bad over the last like ten years. I've had a few outbreaks that have been horrible. So now, just like you, I'm really paranoid about looking for it all the time, never touching it, never setting my stuff in it, and then Anytime I think there's a chance that I might have still, I have this special like tech new poison ivy wash that I wash down my entire body with and scrub down with. Um, Forty bucks a container, man. That that stuff's it not works. cheap. It works yeah. though. Um, it but but in this case, I didn't. I did not realize that I had been in a situation where I would have got it. I think when when I must have gotten it was that I I met up with John Eberhart. Um, not last week, but the Friday before that. So about, I don't know, 12 days ago, maybe, or 10 days ago. And we just went into the woods and he wanted to show me how he preps trees and how he uses a saddle and stuff. So I actually wasn't really doing anything but filming him and talking with him. Um, but I must've set my camera down or my backpack down or something. I must've set it down without realizing that I set it in poison ivy because, because I got it good. And then rubbed it all over your, that pack all over your face. Yeah. Oh, I, whatever I did, I rubbed it all over my face and I actually did rub it in the other places that you were, uh, aforementioning. <laughs> and, uh, I had, a, I had a very mild case in those regions. Um, fortunately did not have the whole, <laughs> the whole craziness happen there. Um, so yeah, I don't, we don't need to talk about, uh, all this too much more, but <laughs> that has made the last two weeks of my life a little bit interesting from that standpoint. And I haven't hunted all that much, um, because of, partly because of that, partly because I kind of, you know, as we talked about last time, I decided not to do that boundary waters hunt because I wanted this kind of early and mid October time period to be mostly family focused and, and I have gotten to do that. So that's been really nice. Um, I needed that apparently. So yeah, you were asking about sleep, right? Um, I get more sleep during the grind of the rut, getting up early, going to bed typically late because I, you know, I got the podcast stuff on my end as well that, but I'm still getting more sleep than if I was at home with my kids. Really? Yep. Absolutely. I mean, oh, man. It, I get like, it, it's not like the, when I'm with the kids, I'm getting up once, maybe twice a night still. Right. And it, I may be getting six hours, but it's interrupted. Uh, but when I go to the, you know, on my rut vacation, I'm getting six hours of sleep, maybe even five hours of sleep s solid right through. And after these days, if I get five hours of sleep, I'm tap dancing. Like I am, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky. I guess uh, Everett sleeps pretty much right through the night, almost every night now. So I get, you know, a full night of sleep every night. 
Um, my ruts are much worse because I end up because I'm because usually I'm hunting the entire day. I get home, you know, it, well, I'm, I'm waking up usually like three in the morning or something because I like to get up to the tree stand super early. Um, so I'm up really crazy early. Then I'm out there the entire day and then I get home, you know, at six or seven or eight o'clock at night, depending on where I'm at. And then I have to, you know, then I'm doing all the podcasts and work stuff afterwards. So I usually end up being up late till like 11 o'clock or something and then back again up at three. So I, I think I usually average, if I'm thinking back on most ruts, I usually average like four hours a night during the rut. So yeah. that's not, that's, that's brutal. Um, so the, the, the moral of this story is that, um, neither one of us is going to, well, you're going to sleep better than me, but I'm going to sleep better than you the rest of the year. So, yeah, gotcha. uh, I have, we're going to talk about now. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to do some quick updates on what's happened so far before we get into like the rut ideas and tips and tactics and all that kind of stuff. Um, that was my big thing as far as health stuff going on with me. Um, two other things worth noting that you might be of interest to hear about Dan on my side. Okay. Number one, I did do a quick like day and a half trip up to our Northern Michigan deer camp. Um, last week. And we did not see any deer. Me and Furter went up there. Didn't see any deer. Josh saw a few. Um, no mature bucks on camera, which is disappointing, but not unheard of. Usually the last few years, the couple, the one or two bucks that we do get tend to be showing up in late October. But what was cool was that on my first night there, I had a big old bear come walking right underneath me. I know, man. Yeah. That's awesome. So let me ask you this question. Yeah. When... You know, a bear, you know, if it was a, if it was a bobcat, right? I mean, that's a predator, but did you, and I, I know it was a black bear and if you're educated, black bears probably aren't, you know, that scared of humans, but you've, you, you hear stories, right? Did you have kind of a, 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 a butt pucker moment where you're just like, Oh, there's a bear. Like, <laughs> what do I do? You know, I, I didn't. And it's not because I'm like trying to say, oh, I'm, I'm like some tough dude or anything. I think it's just because I've spent so much time in grizzly country now that black bears kind of are at a different level that, that don't worry me as much. Now, if yeah. this bear had walked right to the base of my tree and like started to climb up it, then I'd be like, okay, this could be a little sketch. Um, but he walked, you know, within five yards of me, but never looked at me, never knew I was there. So it was just like a really cool close encounter in which he had no clue there was anything going on and I could just observe his natural behavior. Um, so no, it was just kind of like the first thing I thought was, Oh yes. Like this is so cool. And I've been thinking for the last few years, like one of these days I'm going to see a bear. Like we keep getting pictures of him. There's always tracks coming through this area. So I knew eventually it had to happen, but never, you know, over the, you know, 28 years or whatever that I can remember going up there have I seen one now last year for the first time someone in our camp did um, one of the guys that was up there during gun season saw a sow and two cubs so that was the first sighting on the property last year and then this year now I had this one so that was it was so cool to see and um, you know sitting up there in that spot I was hunting a location that was about 70 or 80 yards away from the spot where I have my first deer related memory in my life. I was sitting, my grandpa had taken me up to our camp back when I was like maybe four or five or I don't know, really young, somewhere in that time period. 
and he had this old ground blind there. This used to be a field, and he had a ground blind he built on the edge of it. And it was the summertime. He brought me out there, and I just remember sitting in the ground blind and having a whole group of does come walking by, like five yards away, five or ten yards away, just so close. The closest, um, I guess it's the first time I can really remember seeing deer, and I'm sure it was the closest I'd ever seen deer at that point. And I can I can still see, like, the inside of the blind. I can see just, I remember the bright orange of their summer coats. And my grandpa had this big old camcorder, so he had filmed it too. And when I watched that back, I, I was, like, whispering, but, like, basically whisper yelling, like, GP, look, he's right there. He's right there. <laughs> and he keeps on saying, oh, it's okay, Mark, whisper, whisper. Um, so that was, like, such a cool early moment in my deer and hunting-related life. And then that was always where my grandpa hunted, you know, for the next 10, 15 years as I was growing older and going up there more and more. Fast forward like 15 years or so, now I'm up there and he's hunting that ground blind again, but I have a tree stand down maybe 200 yards away that I was hunting. It was opening day, 2000, I don't know, seven or something like that, six, I'm not, somewhere in that time from like 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And I shoot a buck and it was the first buck I'd shot at the camp. We didn't see very many deer as, as we've talked about in the past. So this is like one of the like one of like only three bucks I'd seen in my entire life up there. So I shot him, dropped him in his tracks, and the first thing I did was I walked back out to the field where my grandpa was and met him there. And this is ten yards away from where I was hunting last week when the bear encounter happened. And I remember standing there with my grandpa and him just putting his hand on my shoulder and just just I told him what happened. He's like, he was, he was telling me how proud he was and you know, I, I he was really big on a quick clean kill. It was so important to him that you were really careful about the shots you took that you never wanted a deer to suffer. So it was, it was a rule. You never shot at a moving deer. You never shot it unless it was a perfect ethical, no doubt about it, vital shot. Um, so when I dropped that deer in his tracks and I told him that he was just so proud, he kept saying it over and over and over again. And, uh, that was just a really cool moment. This, this person who had been so influential in my life, um, you know, getting to share the first person I got to talk to was him right there. So that was 10 yards away from where I was sitting last Monday. Grandpa's ground blind where we sat when I was three or four, that was about 80 yards away. And I'm standing there, or I'm sitting there in my tree saddle, and that bear comes walking underneath 10 yards away or five yards away. All of this happening right in this little special spot in this special location. And um, I told my dad about this after it all happened, and he asked me, he said, what was the date that that happened? And I told him it was October 15th. And, uh, and he tells me, well, that's... That's pretty interesting, Mark. That's uh, that's the six-year anniversary of your grandfather's passing. Wow. So I saw this this bear for the first time ever seeing a bear showed up in this special spot that I'd spared that I'd shared this special moment with my grandpa six years to the day that he died. Um, so I don't I don't know what that means uh, or it if mean, you want to take I, anything from that, but it means your uh, grandpa's spirit animal is a bear. It, it, you know, whatever it means, it was something, something powerful about that moment, especially when I, I when I realized that, um, that that was the day he, when I remembered that was the day that he'd passed six years ago. That's cool, dude. Um, yeah. So that was a pretty special moment. Um, so I thought it would be worth sharing that. Um, so that was Ken Roven. That was the, the Northern Michigan trip. Um, and the only other thing I guess that's been going on since then, cause I haven't really been hunting. I've just been observing the Holyfield property. Sitting on my little hillside with my spotting scope, trying to see is Holyfield alive or is there anything around here I want to shoot. I did go do a trail camera pull, and what I can tell you is this. The last, like, seven to ten days, 
seven to eight days, seven to ten days, has been lights out the most daylight buck activity I've seen on this property in most years, yep. um, even compared to the rut most years. It, it's been like rut-type daylight activity and yep. a lot of decent bucks, like more than usual. Um, when I say decent bucks, I mean like two- and three-year-old bucks here in Michigan. Like that's that's a pretty good buck around here. Tons of daylight activity on the cameras I checked. And from my observation post, I've seen a lot of daylight bucks, including Survivor, who's this buck who last year I was passing on. I thought he was a three-year-old last year. I was thinking he was a four-year-old this year. Um, I just looked back on my notes, and I saw him the evening of the 14th, the evening of the 18th, the morning of the 22nd. My wife saw him the evening of the 22nd, and I saw him today the morning of the 23rd, all in daylight, all in the same general spot. So he's being like Holyfield was back in 16 from the same place, moving like crazy during daylight. Um, but that's Survivor. No Holyfield. Still not seeing Holyfield. Still don't have confirmed pictures of Holyfield. There's one deer I got in camera. It's like a blurry shot. It kind of looks like the frame matches up, it, it but smaller. Kind of looks like he's got that chip in his ear, but it's blurry, so I can't say 100% certain. Um so I don't know what to think about the situation because there's maybe Holyfield still out there, but still no confirmation. Survivor's moving like crazy in daylight. Um, and then another buck that's kind of like sort of like what Holyfield looked like from an antler standpoint last year, like a really nice, big, clean eight-pointer. Um, but he looks like he's a three-year-old. He's been moving in daylight too. Um, so that's what's going on. No Holyfield. A couple of these younger bucks moving a bunch, which is exciting to see, but, you know, I'm not – really interested in targeting them especially now after seeing survivor again this morning and yesterday morning um i'm starting to doubt if he is four or not he he does not look as big bodied as i thought he should have he looked for sure three and a half last year but now he looks three and a half again this year so yeah now i'm wondering well maybe was he two and a half last year just like a really big two and a half year old and now this year he's an average three-year-old i don't know what to think um but i'm not gonna push it when i'm still kind of holding on for holyfield so I went out actually last night and hunted earlier than I was planning on just because of all this daylight activity I've been seeing. I thought, well, why not try once? I'm sick of sitting on the sidelines. Um, so tried one safe sit, didn't see any of these deer. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of the extent of it. Yeah. So I don't well, know. I'll tell you what, uh, your trail cameras are telling you a lot more than what mine are telling me. Um, what happened, man? Dude, I don't know. Like, It's almost like... Have, have you ever had like a, a moment throughout your hunting career where you go onto a property and you're just like, where's the sign? What's going on here? And obviously this year there's way more coyotes on trail camera um, than there has been in the past. One of the ladies, the farmer's horses died and she didn't do anything with it. She's just going to let it th sit there and basically melt into the earth. But uh, coyotes got brought in by that and they've been eating that horse for like a week now there's there's i got trail cameras all over the farm of coyotes and but i've had them in the past and it doesn't seem to affect the deer herd that much but we've had a combination of like almost like extremes this year we had extreme drought in that part of the state we've had extreme water and now recently over the past week and a half two weeks that water's resided the 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 bottom is still muddy and so i hunted saturday night at my main farm i went into 
one of my best stands because I had the first, like a really good north uh, northwest wind, and so I go in, and I'm I see two does. That's it. No sign. Typically, that area is just shredded. The walk in, no scrapes. So Sunday morning, I didn't even hunt. I got up early and I went and checked all the trail cameras and, or a majority of them. And I put up a couple more. And as I'm walking this, like this collective 1100 acres, right. And it's not all in one area, but it's just, and I'm not, I'm not jumping into bedding areas. I'm, you know, I'm doing it fairly uninvasive. And I think I counted three scrapes on that entire area and maybe two or three like, like significant rubs in that entire area. My trail cameras are showing the does are there. My trail cameras are showing that there is, um, two and three year olds there, but one within the last week, there's been one mature buck on the, on that entire acreage. And it's been, I don't know, it, it's, it's just a little concerning. I'm like, what is going on? The crops are still in, uh, as far as the beans, ha- I would say 50% of the area, the crops are still in. Um, and I don't even know what to think anymore just because, you know, I don't know if maybe I'm relying too much on my trail camera data. Um, and there is, you know, obviously, as we all know, deer can walk around trail cameras. Doesn't mean they're not there, but the lack of sign is something that just concerns me. Could it be anything related to your cameras being set later than usual? If I remember right, like you had to put your cameras into these fall locations later. So maybe just the fact that you were in there messing around more recently, could that have anything to do with it? You know what? I would say potentially, but here's the issue with that. Not like no other deer are affected by it. You know, I, I would hate to go into a, I mean, if I was to bump a deer on that farm, let's say it's a mature buck and he was maybe getting close to daylight in the past, he would still show up. It just would be maybe nocturnal. You know what I mean? It's not like they just completely disappear, but the September shift for me was huge this year. I mean, it it was like mid September as they all started turning hard horn shift, like just, it was just like the trail cameras shut off. Typically, that's a drizzle out, right? And then there's a shift of new bucks back into the area. But it's like the new bucks didn't come back into the area this year. And I don't know if it, if it's because of maybe some trespassing issues on part of the farm, the crops still being in, the huge acorn harvest, the high water down from the river bottoms. I mean, these are just ideas. I, I, yeah. And my trail camera tells me the deer are still there. It's just not their the mature bucks are gone well does this is now of course is like disconcerting it's not what you want to see but do you have like serious concerns about the rut or are you or do you feel that yeah maybe they're not on camera yet but being where you're at you never once sat out there during the rut and not had like they're gonna cruise through aren't they even if they're not living on your farm now they're gonna be there come November. Don't you think? Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I've had some slow ruts, but I've always seen a mature buck on from the tree stand or have had an encounter with a mature buck on that farm. There's just some years where it's better than others. But what I will tell you is that 
every single year, somewhere around October 15th is when the sign just blows up on the farm. And this is the first year in seven years that I have not seen that. Interesting. Even with high water in the past. I mean, I remember hunting some, uh, the bottoms being covered so much in the fall that they left the, the crops in because they couldn't get them out the entire, until the freeze came and the water, uh, resided, but it was, the crops were mold. So the deer couldn't eat them. They were all ruined. So basically they just like ran them over and, and then plowed them back into the ground. But it's, it's just weird. Like all the sign that typically blows up this time of year is, is not there right now. Yeah, that's, that's definitely weird. So, so let's talk about the plan moving forward. Then let's talk about what we're going to do. And then some of like our rut principles, um, that we're going to be keeping in mind and that maybe other folks should too. So given this, given your unique situation this year, talk to me about, is this changing your plans at all for the rut vacation coming up? And when's that all, when's that all happening? Right. So this, I'm not sure when this particular podcast is going to post um, this Thursday. So the okay. 25th, 25th. Okay. So the 26th, 27th and 28th. So Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night and Sunday morning, I will be hunting on the main farm. Right. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do on Friday night is I got a very rare wind kind of out of the East that I'm going to go in and do a run and gun on, um, the backside of that gnarly Charlie, um, supposed bedding mm-hmm. area. Yes. Uh, just because I got a, a rare wind that's going to allow me some really awesome access. Uh, the water's low enough for me to, uh, walk through the Creek. And then from there Saturday, I'll probably hunt that same set Saturday morning because I'll have another good wind after that. Then after I get out of the stand, it's going to be go around and check all the trail cameras again and just see, just see what, what there is. Hopefully what I'm seeing is uh, an uptick in mature buck activity. Hopefully while I'm checking them, I see a lot more sign, but, uh, you know, then, then that makes everything easier if it kind of just bounces back and the sign was late. I had a really good conversation with a guy the other day and he was talking about having similar years and a lot of it. And you were, you were saying something about on your Michigan property, you were having rut-like trail camera pictures, right? Yep. Right? Well, we've discussed on this podcast before that bell curve of breeding. Yep. And there's a potential that maybe on your farm, you you have one of those first does to come into heat. And that's why some of these deer are on their feet moving because there's one doe who's starting to come into heat. And she's seeing a lot, you know, that, that starts – that starts something, right? That gets all the deer, all the bucks on their feet. There's that sweet smell in the timber and they start cruising a little bit. Oh yeah. And then for my property, you know, typically there's some action. The, there's a couple does that may go into heat the first week in November, but like that seventh, eighth, ninth time frame is when it starts real, getting really good on my farm. So maybe what we're getting at this year on my farm is that there's nothing worth getting interested about quite yet. And it's just delayed because the dozer are not on schedule from previous years. Yeah. And, and you know, also I got to imagine on a farm, and now you haven't had this issue in the past, but with that much ground, 
I mean, it's it's there's a lot of ground to try to understand what's happening, right? So there might right. be a crap ton of action going on in a corner that you just typically aren't at or where your cameras aren't at right now. I mean, what's the acorn crop like? Could the, could a lot of these bucks just be focused staying in the timber right now and hammering acorns or something like that? Yeah, and, and that's a good point. However, in previous years, I'm going to say 2000 and – I don't know if it was 2015 or 16. I can't remember or 14. One of those years was another huge acorn crop, but the sign was still there. Yeah. And when you have a – big acorn crop all my trail camera pictures in the timber were blowing up right they they would make it to the field edge but not not during daylight right, right? it'd be like middle of the night but my pinch points my tra- uh, travel corridors my staging area trail cameras were all active yeah hmm. um back to your earlier point about the bell curve related to you know breeding sometimes there's going to be some that pop early yeah. um and what's going on on the Holyfield property? I my it's definitely possible it's something that that could have happened here. My guess is that it's not the case in this specific instance because this huge bump in activity that I've seen here, I think, is directly correlated to this cold front that we've had. This cold spell that we've had here, we've had significantly yeah. lower than average temperatures since oh I don't know what the date was, like the fourteenth. Um, through, you know, about a day ago, it's been way colder than usual. So my guess is that that is part of the reason why so much was going on. I don't know about you, but if you look at just the, the internet or the, the kind of hunting community out there and, and the bucks that have been getting killed over the last like seven to 10 days, this is the best mid October success rate. I think that I can see anecdotally, I can't quantify it, but just based yeah. off of like stories and pictures and stuff. I can't remember better mid-October than this one. Would you have you seen the same thing? I had a conversation with a guy about this the other day, and yes, I would say by selection, right? We obviously follow more hunters. We follow more uh, social media accounts that have to do with hunting. But here's what I want to know: is where were these deer killed? Were these killed over food plots? Were they killed? in the timber where they killed on private farms. Like does, does that direct success like, I guess relate to the rest of the hunting community or is it, we are only seeing a certain portion of what is actually being harvested and the hunter success because these guys are have the ability to hunt more because they may be quote unquote in the industry or they have, you know, private property with, you know, highly managed food plots. And that's the success that we're seeing. Does that make sense? I don't know the point you're getting at though. Are you, are you, are you saying that you think that it has been, that it hasn't been a better mid October? I'm not saying just like you said, we can't really quantify that because I'll tell you from my experience, even though it's been colder than average temperatures, I have not seen an increase in deer movement because of this uh, cold spell. You personally, like your own yes. settings and stuff. Ex- exactly, yes. Yeah. But from based off what Instagram and social media is telling us, yeah, I feel it's you know, more people are posting pictures of their, of their success, their bigger deer. But I, I'm curious to know if you were to have a, a secondary statistic behind it, are these bucks being harvested on private ground that have access to, uh, 
you know, manage food plots? Are they managed for big deer? Who, like what's that secondary statistic? Because I don't get too excited about, you know, a whole bunch of people posting pictures because there's, you know, there's millions of hunters out there right now. And I see, even if you see 300 success, successful pictures a, a day, it, that's still a very small percentage of what is actually out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dumbass. Shut up. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to figure out. So, so are you insinuating that you think that the higher rate of success has only been happening for people that have managed properties? Or is that like what you're theorizing or wondering? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, that's what I'm theorizing. Yeah. Now okay. I've seen, I've seen some people, you know, I've seen some, uh, I know some people who have harvested some deer on public land already. That's great. But I feel like a majority of these big deer that are being harvested are on private farms with food plots. Interesting uh, observation. I can't argue it. Although I've, I've certainly seen, I guess from my gut feeling too, yeah, right? that's a I gut have feeling. no, I have, you know, I can look at an Instagram picture. All I know is it's a guy who shot a buck with a muzzleloader or a, or a bow. I don't know anything else about the picture, yeah. right? So that's just a, a random thought. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting observation, and I can tell you either way, wh wherever these people are, are killing these deer, people have been killing a lot of deer. Um, yeah. It's been a pretty good October so far, and my, my my hope, or what I wonder though, is how is this going to impact the rest of the month in November? Um, are we going to have? Is that going to keep on rolling? Like, are we going to have a great late October, right into the early November time period, or are things going to slow down again? Um, and and where I was kind of getting at with all this was that, and I'm not saying I believe this. Um, I, I generally do not believe in this, but there are these moon-related rut predictions um, yep. that this year calls for an earlier rutting peak than usual at least as far as activity so if you look at the um the charles elsheimer the late charles elsheimer and wayne laroche predictions um they follow this this uh what is it the second full moon after the autumn equinox or something like that they call it the running moon typically they claim that's what kind of starts to cue some of this more intense running activity um if you follow those predictions october 24th is the running moon so they were calling for things to start ramping up towards the 24th and then like seeking and chasing kind of starting around that 24th and, and going through the 25th, 26th, 27th. So basically they're calling for the best rutting activity this year to be, you know, that the, the last week and a half of October into the first couple of days of November. And then you get into that lockdown sooner. While traditionally, most of us would say that usually we're seeing things a little bit later than that, that first two weeks of November traditionally being the peak of activity. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it was kind of just interesting to me that they're calling for a little bit earlier, at least this one theory, calling for a little bit earlier writing action and not saying we're seeing writing action yet, but we are seeing at least anecdotally a lot of activity the last you know seven days or so leading up to this time period. I'm not right. making any kind of connections to that. I just thought it was an interesting thing I've been seeing. Um, also, Mark Drury, um, and the Drury is another couple of folks who pay attention to a lot of these things. They always point to the days around the full moon in general being particularly good days. 
and especially if that syncs up with the general rut time period. Um, Mark always talks about the three evenings leading up to the full moon and the three mornings after the full moon traditionally can be a little bit better. Um, so that full moon is the 24th, like I said, which will be you know the day before this podcast comes out. So if you're listening to this on the 25th, I'd be curious, did you have a couple good nights leading up to this? And could the next few mornings be especially good? I don't know. Um, I think all this moon stuff is probably overhyped. Um, I'm always more interested in the date of the calendar and the temperatures. Um, But it it is always interesting. Just I like to keep tabs on it and just kind of watch what's going on. And um, I hope, though, I hope that the rut moon thing is right this year because I'm actually doing my one – or my, my one, like, late October, well, not even, my one rut-ish out-of-state trip is coming up during this time period. I'm leaving for Nebraska tomorrow um, to hunt these last, like, four or five days of October. So I'm hoping that there's going to be some running, some early running activity because that would work out really nice. Yeah. Um, I'm not really expecting it, but I would not complain at all. Um me and Andy, me and Andy May are heading to uh, central Nebraska tomorrow for a really quick hunt. We're going to leave in the afternoon, drive all night, hopefully get there by the morning. So the morning this podcast goes out, Thursday morning, hopefully we'll be arriving by then so we have time to glass in the morning, do a little scouting midday, get spots set up to hunt that evening. And then we'll be able to hunt Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning. And then we have to turn around and drive right back home. Yeah. Um, so it's gonna be a quick trip, but um, but I'm kind of excited about it. We got um, we got access to a sweet looking river bottom uh, property that Andy got us permission through kind of a blind phone call just by chance, and um, it's like eight miles of river bottom with lots of good cover, some irrigated fields. It could be pretty sweet. Um, so we'll have some stories to come on that next week, but that's what I have coming in my immediate future, Dan. Um, cool. So when you're out there trying to figure things in the uh, in the Iowa Holy Land that's gone quiet, I'll be trying to figure out a brand new property that neither me or Andy has ever seen before in person. Um, so we're just looking at maps and taking some of our previous knowledge from hunting kind of similar situations like this out west. You know, there's kind of hills on the outside and then these river bottoms with a bunch of cover that the whitetails are in. Um, but it's going to be very much kind of learn as we go. Right. Right. Well, I tell you what, and that's one thing, you know, backstepping just a little bit, uh, to this, to these averages, everybody looks at, right. Everybody wants an exact date that they want to take off vacation. Well, that's a, the law of averages, right. That QDMA puts out all that data about, you know, here's peak breeding, here's peak scrapes, here's peak rubs, uh, and all this data. Right. But that doesn't, directly relate on the micro level to your specific farm, right? So if you don't run trail cameras, if you don't scout, you don't go out looking for sign beforehand, yeah, you're probably better off doing the law of averages and and hunting, let's say, somewhere around, you know, leading up to peak breeding. But that doesn't mean that the does on your property are part of that peak right? They could be before and they could be after that and you could miss it or you could nail it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. There's so much variability. I mean, both of us, if you go back and look at our, the last five years or whatever that we've been doing this podcast and you listen to our different rut experiences, 
you know, every single year they're different. Every single time of year when it hits is different. I mean, the rut on any given year, from my experience, is in little, it's like in fits and bursts. There'll be a pop of great activity and then it'll die down. And then all of a sudden there's some great activity and then it dies down. And you can never, at least not frequently, predict right. exactly when that's going to happen or exactly where that's going to happen. Um, so much variability. And you could be, I could be at one side of the property and you could be on the other side of the property and we might have a completely different perspective on like how the rut's coming you might say oh there's nothing going on the rut's gonna be late this year and i might say no it's been intense it's been insane it's happening right now and that could be yep. a quarter mile difference you know yep absolutely um and, and here's one thing though we all need to remember or it's not that we should remember but it's oh since i've changed my hunting style I've seen less deer and what I would call less of an observed rut. And the reason being is because I'm not hunting in places where I can see a long ways. So if you're a field edge hunter or you're hunting over big food plots, then you might walk away going, oh man, they were chasing tonight. But if you're a pinch point hunter, I'm, and I'm just saying if that pinch point you can't see or you're hunting in a thick bedding area, downwind of a thick bedding area, and you can't see a long ways, you're probably going to see less of an observed uh, rut. But like for me, I'm not interested in seeing chasing unless it's coming right by my stand. I want to be in the right spot and get the right deer to walk by, not see, you know, deer chasing, um, you know, in this cornfield a long ways away, because if I do see that I'm getting down and I'm going to move my tree stand over there. Yeah, I hear you. Before we go any further though, let's take a quick break to thank our friends over at Whitetail Properties and Spencer Newharth will take it from here. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Ben Harshine, a land specialist out of Iowa. And Ben is going to be talking to us about strategies for killing a mid-October buck. I think there's a number of things. One uh, that you don't have any control over is the weather, but you do have control of when you hunt it. Uh, following these cold weather fronts, uh, certainly get big deer on their feet earlier. Um, I think that you have to key in on food sources still. So if you can plan ahead and get some food sources uh, on your property that you're hunting ahead of time to anticipate uh, movement here in October. I mean, these deer right now are eating as much as they can to get ramped up for the rut, to get ramped up for the winter. Um, the cold weather gets them on their feet earlier. They're going to be on their feet heading to food sources, whether that's a uh, food plot you planted, uh, acorns, uh, crop fields. Uh, killing a mature buck in October is going to rely on, on chasing that weather and, and getting in front of them in the evening hunts, going to food. Uh, sometimes you can get into deeper cover I think it's a little bit dangerous, but I still would, would go for it if, if you feel comfortable. Scout, use your cameras, try to find where they're staying, and then get deeper into, uh, into that cover where you think maybe he's betting. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Ben currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash harshine. That's H-A-R-S-H-Y-N-E. Let's take that step further. Let's... Uh... That's a good kind of rut thought. Let's do like rapid fire rut rules or rut tips here for the last like 10 minutes or so that we have 15 minutes or so. Let's just go back and forth with like quick things that we think that, that you and I are going to be thinking about during the rut that we'd recommend um, that are going to be like part of our core mindset in the yep. next, you know, three weeks. Because the next three weeks are kind of like, you know, as I alluded to at the beginning, this is 
this is it for a lot of us. This is like the, the Shangri-La of the deer hunting season. We've been looking forward to this the entire year. Going to get it done, hopefully. Kick it off. All right. I'm going to say my first rut piece of advice is to not get too caught up in all like the crazy ideas and tactics and always stay simple when it comes to the rut, or at least try to come back to the basics. By this, I mean when you're confused or uncertain about what to do during the first couple weeks of November, the last couple days of October, always think back to these two principles, doe bedding areas or pinch points. So yep. if you can be thinking about those two things, whenever you're trying to choose between this tree stand or that, or this property or that property, if you can be around one of those two things, you're generally going to be in the right type of place for the rut. So doe bedding areas, of course, are some of the main places the bucks are going to be checking to try to find a female to breed. So you can either be right in those bedding areas or maybe just downwind of them. Those are always going to be a great place to start when it comes to trying to figure out how to find a buck during the rut. And then number two, a pinch point or a funnel. You know, these are some type of habitat or terrain feature that just kind of pinches deer into a smaller area, which just is going to produce a higher rate of activity through there during the rut because these bucks are moving from bedding area to bedding area or bedding to food source. Just again, looking for does that might be ready to breed. If you can find something that funnels that activity past your stand, that's another great spot. So just keep those two things in mind. It's it's the simplest rut advice out there. It's told yep. a bajillion times. Like this is no secret. But every year when I start getting like I start overthinking things, I just need to remind myself, go back to the basics. Think about the basics and, and kind of filter all of your thoughts through that. So that's my first tip. Sounds good. I would say mine is identify what you're looking for, you know, and I'm just going to talk specifically about bucks right now. Identify what you're looking for, um, for a buck. And if you're sitting in a, a location, I know, I know, and I know there's so many variables that go along to this because maybe you sit on a property that only has one tree stand in it and you don't, you can't hunt anywhere else or you haven't found anywhere else to hunt, but don't waste your time. That's my, my first, um, piece of advice. If you're not seeing what you want, move and go find something else. If you have trail cameras, I like for me, I rely on my trail cameras to tell me a little bit of the story. And if there's something that pops up, move in, take a look, observe, and maybe that's just what you need, right? To make another move, to make another move and play that game of chess to try to put yourself in the best possible position. However, if nothing shows up two days in a row and I know the rut and I know anything can happen at any moment and you're not getting trail camera pictures or you're not seeing any fresh sign, it might be time to move. Yeah. Especially, you know, and I think everything we're saying here, of course, you know, is a generalization. Yes, unique, absolutely. There'll be specifics that might different, that might make what we would recommend be different. But like you just said there, Dan, if you have options, go out and get after them. You know, if you're in a situation where for some reason you're just, all you have is a 10 acre property or something and you're just kind of stuck there. Well then to what you said a second ago, Dan, maybe if you do stick it out long enough, yes, during the rut, something can happen. So maybe then it's just stick it out. But if you have options, I a hundred percent agree because you know, it just can be here, but not there or there and not here. And you're never going to know that unless you go check it out. Um, so that brings me to my next tip which is kind of related to the sticking it out part of things that during the rut, other than a few of the things we already said here, I don't think there's anything more important than tree stand time. Right. I mean, 
this is that time of year when everything else goes out the window because all the all the rules, all the things we're saying could be completely null and void because deer start doing crazy things at this time of year. They might be moving in the middle of the day. They might be moving somewhere they never usually do. Um, you just need to be out there to sometimes be the benefactor of kind of surprise good luck. So yep. hunt as much as you possibly can. If you can get time off work, be out there. If you can hunt all day, be out there. And on the midday thing, I will say for years and years and years, I was told you should hunt all day, you should hunt all day, you should hunt all day. And I did it. And for quite a while, I never really saw anything come from it. Um, and it was really tough to do. And it's not a lot of fun sometimes. It's very exhausting, sometimes painful um, on your back end or your knees, as Dan can attest to. But <laughs> it can pay off. It's not like it's always going to pay off, but it definitely can. I've had enough mature buck encounters over the last decade or so that I've been doing this during the middle of the day that it, it's it's worth it. But only if you are like really, really dedicated to trying to kill a mature buck. If you're just out there to have a good time and to have a nice fun trip with your buddies, it might not be worth it. You might have a better trip if you take your midday and go back to the cabin or back to the trailer, back to the hotel and enjoy your friend's company or something. Um, but if you are dead set on killing a mature buck, you should be in the tree. Um, last year, everyone, most of you know, I, I almost almost had my shot at Holyfield at 11 o'clock. And um, I'll be sitting all day again this year. Yep. Mark and I apologize that I'm going to have to say this, but you might have to edit this next part out because, and I think this is a test to the mental game, just kind of piggybacking off what your what you just said, and that is don't be a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, but I fall victim to that as well. To where you're, you start, you start getting tired, you start. You know, oh, woe is me. I'm not seeing I'm not seeing bucks, but you're not doing anything about it. Right. So you have to do something about it and you have to move. You have to um, hunt hard, potentially all day. You have to get up early. You can't. There's no shortcuts. Right. If you want to execute a goal in the woods and kill a big buck or a mature buck or a target buck or whatever, and you're struggling, if you start bitching, it's over. And you you have to do whatever it takes, and, and I mean within the law, yeah. to, to, to accomplish that goal, right? If your goal is, hey, man, I want to kill a four-year-old this year, and there's maybe one or two on in your entire county, well, guess what you got to do, man? You got to be mobile, and you got you to grind. And if you – if you start going, well, no, this guy spooked me. Or if you're a public land hunter and you're like, ah, oh, this guy, this guy ruined my hunt. Oh, it's screwed now. I might as well go home. <laughs> Shut up, dude. Move, find him again, locate him again, get back to the maps, get back to the scouting, get back to historical data, trail camera pictures, start over and get after him again. Right. Yeah. You think the mountain lion bitches? If he misses the opportunity or a bear or a predator in general, no, <laughs> they go back, they regroup and they go after him again. Keep on hunting. Yeah, man. I 2000% agree. I think that that maybe more than anything we've talked about, that might be the very most important thing for hunting the rut. Like it is, it is so much a mental thing. Can you, yeah. can you deal with adversity? Like guaranteed every rut, I can guarantee all of you listening to this 
or almost all of you, maybe one of you will go out the very first day and kill the biggest buck of your life and be done and say, oh, this rut was easy and it went great. All the rest of us are going to deal with some kind of adversity over the next three weeks. We're going to miss a deer. We're going to wound a deer. We're going to spook a deer. We're going to have guys walk through our property. We're going to have dogs run through our property. We're going to have our trail cameras stolen. We're going to have our tires go flat. We're going to have the baby gets sick and you have to go home and you miss half your rut vacation. You're going to have a wife that's going to be angry at you and you have to go home early. You're going to have something go wrong over the next three weeks. And you're going to be faced with this decision. Are you going to push through it? Are you going to embrace that adversity? Say, okay, yeah, this thing happened. There's nothing I can do about that now. It's water under the bridge. Now, how do I react to it? How do I take that, move on from it, learn from it, figure out what the next best option is, keep going, stay focused. So much of actually sitting in the tree stand is about can you stay in it during the whole day or whenever you're out there can you avoid looking at your phone can you not make this mistake i made can you stay focused out there for six hours at a time or 12 hours at a time can you as you alluded to dan can you wake up at three or four or whatever every morning even though you're so tired after doing it 12 days in a row can you keep going um and if and this all just depends on how dedicated, like what you want out of this. For some yeah. people, they just want to go out and have a good time. If you just want to go out and have a good time, and you're not as care, you're not as worried about the end result, then then do it. Go have a good time. Don't stress as much about this stuff. But if, but if you're really dedicated to to getting that tag wrapped around a mature box antler and getting that meat in the freezer, then this kind of mindset I think is really important. Um, it's that yep. mental strength. Mental strength is I think what the name of the game is over these next few weeks. Um, and I know that I will just be coming back to this. I'm sure over the next few weeks, I'm going to have moments where I'm like, ugh, I do not want to do this, or I'm upset about this, or I'm stressed about this. My shingles are going to come back. But I, you just have to. And that's the thing, dude. <laughs> like, check check the story out. I, I You know, like, you're going to be talking to your kids someday or your grandkids someday, and you're going to tell the story of the, you know, hey, man, I shot this buck I call Holyfield, been chasing him for several years, and I did it after – having the worst case of shingles I've ever had, <laughs> the worst case of poison ivy I ever had. I mean, come on, kid. I had it on my genitals and I still <laughs> killed I still killed this buck and I grinded it out and I did it. Yep. That's right. Yep. Very I can't wait That's to tell a good that story, story by the way. I, I hope you get to tell it. That's one of those campfire things that you do. <laughs> yeah. When he when he uh, when he gets to be eighteen years old and he's ready to hear those kinds of stories. <laughs> Let me right. tell you, son. Um Yeah, man. I think that is um that's some important stuff right there. Do we have time for another quick tip or do you need to run? Because I know you've got a quick turnaround here. Yeah, dude. I uh I got a split. All right. So we will wrap this up. This is a quick episode, but hopefully a few ideas and a few updates that can uh, that can help folks as we head into this most exciting time of year. So uh, and good luck. I just want to say to all the listeners, dude, good luck. I there's no one more than me and Mark that want to see all you guys be successful, guys and gals be successful out there, and and do it safe, please. Yes. In the words of Dan Nine Fingers Johnson, wear your damn harness and have a great time. And Dan, you too. Good luck. Yes, you too, bud. Yeah, let's, let's we're, get we're back in here touch all weeks. the time, kind of throughout this year. We are, but I think that we should uh, we should come back, get on the podcast together in two weeks, and both have stories of uh, of knocking down a big bruiser. All right. And that is going to do it for this episode. So thanks for sticking around for this quick 
rut preparation podcast. It's that most exciting time of year, so get out there in the woods. I hope you're going to have some amazing hunts coming up. My fingers and toes are crossed for you. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm in Nebraska, or at least on our way to Nebraska right now. So me and my pal Andy should have some stories for you next week, which will hopefully be interesting too. So until then, best of luck out there. Shoot straight. Have a great time. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.